If you uh, need a Bible, we've got these Bibles on the tables in the back. You're welcome to take one of those. If you know somebody who needs a Bible, take one of those. Uh, This is our gift to you. Um, We're going to be on page 865, which is Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, this morning. So you can take those on your way out. Also, if this is your first time visiting, welcome. This is exciting. Uh, We'd love for you to to take one of the communication cards and uh, go to the information uh, center that's out in the foyer. It has a giant sign that says new here. So if you are new here, uh, that's where we'd love to meet you. Um, I'll be there uh, after after our gathering to meet with you as well um, and uh, give you one of our first time guest bags. I think those got packed. I don't remember. So if... uh, What? There's been a lot to pack. All right. So if you uh, take a look at uh, the evening TV offerings, right, look at, look at all the different shows that are, that are going on and, and look at the themes, you are going to see that there is no shortage of crime-themed dramas, right? You've got CSI and CSI every spinoff after that, and you've got Law and & Order and every Law and & Order spinoff of that, and, and all these different shows. And, and this isn't just recent television, right? Uh, you know, I grew up at my grandparents' house uh, watching Murder, She Wrote, um, and Matlock. Um, and maybe, that, I'm thinking back on it, maybe that wasn't great to be watching as a kid, but that's what we were watching. And so, uh, so great mystery shows, uh, great uh, crime scene investigation type shows, those are super popular. And it even goes back before TV, we've got uh, books like Sherlock Holmes and and things like the Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew. We we like a good mystery. We like to to see and solve problems and solve these crimes. We have this fascination with this. And so now imagine your favorite crime scene investigator. Who is your favorite detective? Who is is the one? It's Tisha. Tisha is our favorite crime scene investigator. And to think of who who is your favorite crime scene detective. And, And now put them in this scene. They are in this place. They've been called in to investigate this crime, and and they arrive at the crime scene, and they're in this wide open space, this valley. And there are dried human remains all over this valley. And this investigator finds themselves knee deep in human bones in this valley. What is the crime that has been committed? Of course, someone who is a detective is going to look at these dry, brittle bones and and begin to ask questions. What is the explanation for such a scene? Why would there be these dead bodies here? Why would there be these skeletons? They've been there for a long time. They're not corpses. They are dry, brittle bones. What is happening in this place? And how could these skeletons possibly be identified? And so as these questions are being pondered and this investigator is is moving around this scene, something strange begins to happen. The bones start to tremble and start to rattle and start to come back together and form full skeletons. And then these tendons start to grow on these bones and, and flesh forms on them until they become fully formed humans. This is our scene for this morning. It makes no sense. It is grotesque. It is weird. There is no natural explanation for this. This investigator, this detective is just scratching their head. Decomposed bodies do not reform 
back into living bodies. But this is exactly what is happening. This is the vision that God gives Ezekiel in chapter 37. And seeing the meaning of this vision allows us to to see the character of God and to see our place in the story of the Christian life as well. And so I'd like for us to watch this dramatic reading of Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life, and stood up on their feet, a vast army. And so we have this scene here where these dry bones come back together. God has intentionally set Ezekiel down into this place. God has put him in this place for this vision. And the hand of the Lord, the, the divine power of God is operating here. The prophet has a role to play, but this is God's work. The prophet's role is only a minor one. So so Ezekiel is placed here, and in a very deliberate and intentional way, he is moved around in this nightmarish situation. We can understand being in the middle of a valley full of human skeletons is going to be something of a nightmare. But it's even more so for Ezekiel as as a prophet priest. If he's coming into contact with human remains, that would make him unclean. It would would mean that he had been defiled. And so here he is in the middle of this, these dry bones. And God is moving him around, moving him around this scene through the bones. Ezekiel is is told to prophesy to the bones. The prophet doesn't, doesn't just see God restoring dry bones. He has a role to play. The prophet has this, this active participation in this process. And so the miracle begins with this prophetic word. The prophet's obedience is the, the prophet's obedience to this command leads to the bones rising up, coming together, complete with tendons and flesh and skin. But the bodies still lacked life. Yes, the bodies had reformed, but they had no breath. 
And as, as this passage is using the word breath, it is this multifaceted word. It's this word that means wind, this word that can mean the, the spirit of the individual or the spirit of God. There's these, these four different ways to view this word breath, wind, spirit. And it's this breath that is necessary for life. And so Ezekiel prophesied to the breath prophesied to the breath, and the winds blow, and the bodies are filled with new breath, and they rise to their feet, this vast army. And so after this incredible vision, in verse 11, God explains to Ezekiel what's going on here, because this is not a normal scene, right? Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel, They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And so God is taking Ezekiel through this journey, through through this vision. And and after surveying the whole scene, there is absolutely no sign of life. Everything is dead. The, The valley is full of dry bones. And this is a picture of Israel in exile. They have lost their home. From from that first moment that the Israelites stood on the bank of the Jordan River looking into the promised land, they had been warned at the results of their lack of, of faithfulness. That if they were to be unfaithful, they would lose this promised land. They had been warned this from the very beginning. And here they are. They have forgotten God. They have chosen cheap replicas. They ignored his demands. They ignored his rules. They they ignored his expectations. They broke this covenant relationship with God. Their worship became hollow lip service. And so they find themselves in exile. This valley of dry bones, this place of death. God's wrath cannot be missed in this. Babylon is is taken over, they've sacked Jerusalem, they've kidnapped the best and the brightest among them. And now the land is left lifeless, dry, and barren. A nation that was given life at Mount Sinai. A people formed through a covenant with God, now lay dead in a valley. For us as, as Christ followers, we, we sometimes can speak in the same terms as we think about times when we have forgotten God or are distant from God. We say things like, I feel spiritually dried up. We say things like, I haven't heard from God in a while. We say things like, my, my prayers just feel like they aren't being heard. Have we found ourselves saying those things a time or two? 
where we just feel this, this disconnect with God and, and these situations feel hopeless and, and it seems like God is not present in these moments and there seems to be no end in sight. These are the cries of the heart that come from people who are spiritually dead, spiritually dry. But this is actually not a sign of death. In many ways, it is actually a sign of life. This, this crying out to God, this surrender to God, this, this pursuit of God. God can handle our cries to Him. God can handle our questions and our uncertainties. He can handle our disappointments. And so a healthy view of God has, has room for cries out to God. And real change in our lives is only going to come through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. It's in those moments that change occurs. And so a return to hope comes first through embracing our spiritual condition, embracing that dryness embracing that feeling of death. Ezekiel had to see the total death before he was shown this new life. And it's at that point that we can hope again. When I was a student at UNM, um, I had to take a, a science class for my general ed requirements. And as a communications major, science was last on my list of interests of classes to take. So, so I, I, I had to find a, a class to take. I, I signed up for anthropology. Um, and anthropology is this study of human bones and the progression of, of human bones through evolution and all, all this other stuff. But it was a study of bones, right? And I had this German teacher that I couldn't understand and then this lab uh, that was just even more bizarre. But the study of bones. There was not a single section of that class. There, there was not a chapter. There was not a lecture. There, there was nothing said about how those bones become living beings again. All right, that's not part of the class. The class is the study of what was and what is dead. It was not a class on what can become with those bones. And so we look at dry bones and we see this is past. This is history. This is something that can never change. But for there to be change, we need a divine and supernatural answer. In the valley of dry bones, Ezekiel knows that, that God can bring life. He knows that God can do this. But it comes from God. It doesn't come from Ezekiel. Israel will not de-exile itself. Israel will not solve this problem on their own. And we will not solve our spiritual dryness on our own. This was God's work of recreating Israel. And suddenly we see these dead bones begin to rattle back together. And there's signs of life, there's tendons, there's flesh. The corpses begin to look alive again, but they are not yet alive. There's more to it than that. 
So we find ourselves here two weeks away from Easter, this this day where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And in this passage in Ezekiel, we see this important question, can life come into death? And the question of Easter is, can life come into death? Is the tomb empty or not? Is Jesus dead or alive? One of the commentators I was reading through said, for Ezekiel, what happened, for Ezekiel, what happened to the bones first happened to him. So it is with us. What God does for the Christian, he has first of all done for Jesus. If God breathes life into the dead body of Jesus, then he will breathe life into our dead bodies as well. God was willing to overlook the the generations of Israel's dry and decaying spiritual life, and, and he would give them undeserved blessing again. God doesn't just give us forgiveness through Jesus's death. He also gives us new life through Jesus's resurrection. And so for Christians today, death is not the final verdict. We always have hope. No situation is beyond God's reach, and our current circumstances are not our final ones. But remember, these corpses are not yet alive. There is renewed hope for life. But full life is not there yet. We know this, anyone who has, has decided to diet or work out more, there's a huge difference between believing that you can change and changing. I have great diet plans, but that change will not happen unless I go through that diet. I can believe that I can change, but I have to go through the process of change. If we are to experience new life, true hope must be authenticated by true life. The bodies forming back together have to become living beings again. And so in Ezekiel's prophecy for Israel, there was this reforming of what needed to reform. The bodies came back together. And in the previous chapter, we're told that the land's restoration would require a change of the heart of the people. Ezekiel had to still prophesy to the breath before there was life. The wind, the spirit, the the, the spirit of the person, the spirit of God, that had to, to, to blow in for there to be life. All four aspects of this word breath are captured here. In verse 1, God's spirit carries Ezekiel to his vision. In verse 5, God will cause breath to enter the skeletons. In verse 9, Ezekiel is to prophesy to the breath, to the wind, to the spirit of God. And in verse 9 again, then the four winds come and put breath into the bodies. And then in verse 10, the breath The wind, the human spirit came to them and they lived. They rose up as a vast army. And verse 14, God will put his spirit in them and they will live. God breathes life. We have new life because God's spirit 
breathes it into our spirit. New life comes from God as a divine act of grace. And in this vision of Ezekiel, the winds themselves carried this breath from God. It makes me think of God breathing life into that dust that became Adam. So God is renewing life in his people by returning them from exile and putting his spirit within them. And we move forward in the story, into the narrative, and get to the day of Pentecost where where the spirit descends on the upper room with this violent wind. But what does all of this mean for us? This is a prophecy for Israel. But it gives us a picture of the character of God. It gives us a picture of of who God is and what God hopes for us. And so we ask the question this morning, where are the boneyards around us? Where are the boneyards around us? Where are the places of death? The places of despair? The places of hopelessness, of dryness, of disappointment? Where are the boneyards around us? Is it in our own life? Is it in our own spirit that that is feeling dry? Is Is it in our families, in our marriages, in our church, in our community, in our neighborhood, in the world around us? Where do you see death? Where do you see despair? It's in so many places if we have an eye for it. And so this vision given to Ezekiel can, can inspire us to believe something about these boneyards. To believe that they do not have to remain a place of death. They do not have to remain a place of destruction. That God can breathe new life into these dry bones. Where are the places around you? And we see in the story of Ezekiel kind of these phases that he has to go through. This first one is God intentionally moves him around the boneyard. He has to be present. He has to be aware. He has to see the death before anything else can change. And I think too often we walk around with blinders on, not seeing the boneyards. Not seeing the despair. Not seeing the destruction. And so we first of all have to be aware and present in the world around us to understand and see and know where is this death? Where are the dry bones? Many of us walk through life with blinders on, not even recognizing the spiritual dryness in our own lives until we get to a place of such self-destruction that it's too late. And so can we even be aware of the spiritual dryness in our own lives? Can we see the boneyards in our hearts? In the relationships of people around us? In the community around us? Ezekiel first had to see the valley of bones before anything else could happen. But then after he sees this valley of bones and and recognizes this and, and becomes aware of this, then he has to hold to a belief that God can, in fact, change death to life. There has to be a belief that change can happen, a belief that new life 
can be experienced. And so too often, we see the dry bones in our lives. We see it in ourselves. We see it in the, the people around us. And we stop there because we lack the faith. We lack the belief that God can do a miracle in that. We lack the belief that God can breathe new life into that marriage. That God can breathe new life into that community, into that neighborhood, into those apartments that we're ministering to, into those relationships, into this church, into this family. Do we believe that God can breathe life into something? Do we believe that change can happen? Do we believe that God can bring about restoration? Do we believe that God stands by his promises to us? And so when we see the destruction around us, we have to believe that God can do something about it. And so in in the dry valley, we see this vision where the bones are coming back together, that they're forming back into human beings, but they're not yet living. There's a belief that they can be, but they're not there yet. Because there's a second prophecy that has to happen. Now, Ezekiel has to prophesy to the breath, to the spirit, to the wind. So if you have eyes to see the dry bones, if you believe that God, in fact, can bring about restoration, then you have to pour yourself out and prophesy... To the breath, prophesy to the spirit, crying out and praying for renewal. If we see the death, if we see the hurt, if we see the despair, if we see the destruction, and we believe then God, that God can actually do something about that, then we better be crying out to him. Pouring ourselves out. This word prophecy, it's a weird word for us, right? Because, because that's what other denominations do. We don't do that prophecy thing. But this word prophecy, it just, just has this image of, of pouring out, of bubbling over this, this spring coming up. And so the word prophecy gives us this idea that, that there is this pouring forth of words abundantly, like a gushing water. That we are pouring out our hearts to God prophesying to the breath. And God wanted Ezekiel to pour himself out before God. And so, we have this image of pouring out. We have this image of, of maybe getting into a sailboat, right? We, we, we don't know what that is because we live in the desert, but some of us have seen sailboats and apparently they're on water and we get into that boat and we raise that sail, but there's nothing else you can do, right? Like there are certain things that we can do as we get on that boat. We can get on it. We can raise the sail, but until that wind comes, that boat is not going anywhere. And so we cry out, to the winds. The work of faith is, is to get into the boat, to get into the water, to, to raise the sails. That's the part that we control. But only God brings the winds. 
And so to prophesy to that wind is to pray for renewal, to, to beg God, to cry out for mercy, to, to pray as though we have hope, as though we have faith that God can bring about restoration. And so we come back to the beginning and ask, why are we so fascinated with crime scene television? And some would, some would say that we like all of the, the cop dramas and the, the murder mysteries because we have a fascination with, with violence and destruction. But I think it's more that we have this God-designed thing in us that wants to seek wrongs righted. That we want to see good triumph over evil. And that death does not have the final word. Because we believe in a resurrected Jesus. And death does not have the final word. And so Ezekiel speaks to God's people, asking them to see the deadness in and around them, as well as hope in God's new life. And then he pleads with his spirit to bring it anew. And there is life to be found in these dry bones. Let's be standing together as we've tried to, to imagine what our, our worship gathering would look like in this new space where uh, food and drink is not allowed on the carpet. Um, we're going to be experimenting every week with, with what communion looks like and what, with what, what our prayer time looks like. And so today, I think our, our message very much prepares us for prayer and our time at the table together. And so we're going to combine these two at this moment as we think about the death of Jesus, the promises that are given to us through the death of Jesus, and the new hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus. And so we have communion prepared at these tables on the side of the room. There are handrails up the corners of the stairs on both sides, and so you can kind of funnel up uh, to that as you, as you feel ready to go to the tables. Um, if, you, if you cannot navigate the stairs, um, we have a few of our communion servers that are going to be out, and they'll bring communion to you. Uh, but for the most part, we're going to go have communion around the tables. But we're also going to invite you into this time of prayer as well, as we cry out to God and beg for his restoration in the world around us. It could be in our own lives. It can be in our, our own hearts and our families, our, 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 our relationships with one another, our community, the world around us. And so I want to invite the shepherds to, to be um, standing around uh, be standing around in these open spaces. We've got plenty of space to work with, right? And so if we can get all of our shepherds to kind of come in and, and just be available for prayer, um, if we have some of our prayer ministry that, that uh, can be available as well and spend some time in prayer. So this is a time for us to, to, to be together around the table and in prayer. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for our communion and then our... Um, our praise team is going to, to sing a song over us through this time. But, but this is a time that's a, a bit experimental because we have the space for us to be moving around. Pray as a family. Uh, pray as a life group. 
go together to one of the tables and have communion together uh, through these next few minutes now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the body of Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross for us. And as, as we take this bread and as we take this cup, God, we, we remember who Jesus is and what he has come to do for us. God, our hope is in you. And we celebrate this now as we, we cry out to you that you would breathe life into the boneyards. Breathe life into the dry bones of our hearts. Breathe life into the dry bones of our relationships. Breathe life into the dry bones of this, of this neighborhood and of this city and of this state and of this country and world. God, would you breathe life into the dry bones? We cry out to you in this time as we remember you and we celebrate you and we, we honor you and worship you in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.